0: Truck about and the funny thing is is that if there's one thing that we know a lot about it's being brothers and conveniently the name of this episode is brother so hopefully we will have many things to say on this new episode of star trek discovery season two brother we are the brothers who trek about my name is matt and coming to us from the east side of this state is my brother ken say hello ken live long and prosper there you go Equally important in this episode is there's a lot of Vulcan stuff to talk about, so we'll definitely get to that for sure. But before we do, let's start off with some interesting stuff behind the scenes, shall we? As you, as many of you may have seen, or many of you may have not, I don't know how in touch you are with the uh, geek news out there in the world, but Robert Robert Kurtzman's been making the rounds in this uh, before this season opened, he's been talking to a lot of people, doing a, doing a lot of interviews and saying some fun stuff. But interestingly, he said this. This is about uh, his version of Trek, which is, I go back to my childhood and Luke Skywalker, the Star Wars farm boy who looks out at the twin sons of Tatooine and imagines his future. Trek never gave me that, he says. Trek was always fully formed adults, already in starfleet and people who have decided who they are and it was never aspirational in that way it's important for me to find a way to go back and reach younger kids in a way that trek should but never really has well what'd you think about that quote coming from uh, <laughs> the guy who's now in charge of all trek on cbs all access
1: so like uh, part of it is that we're getting a more arky star trek Right.
0: Which we don't hate.
1: Right. But, I mean, there's different kinds of arcs, right? So, you know, if we look at the the bulk of literature, there's two kinds of arcs. One is the plot arc, right? Somebody wants something badly. They can't get it. They struggle. Um, Opposition is overcome. Object is seized. In a sense, the thing they seek is a MacGuffin, right? What we want to ask is, are you getting closer or further away from the thing that you seek? And the struggle is, like, about overcoming opponents. James Bond, classic, right? He's... Okay. Character doesn't change, basically. I mean, you've got some exceptions, but basically the character does not change. But he's always pursuing something. The nuclear device, you know, underwater with the captured airplane... The plans, the finding out what Dr. is up to. He's, he's seeking something. And he's fighting these opponents. And it's, it's fun to watch because it's got this adventure piece to it. And we certainly have that. I think the whole middle section of this episode is that kind of structure, right? When they're on the asteroid mm-hmm. and they meet the, the uh, engineer. The other kind of classic story is about the character who undergoes an an internal transformation, right? So you could say uh, uh, Dorothy from The Wizard of Oz. At the beginning, she doesn't like Kansas. She's not happy where she is. She wants to go over the rainbow. And through her travels, she realizes that there's no place like home, and she wants to go back. Mm. And when she gets back, she has a new appreciation of the people and the situation, and that kind of internal transformation is this this thing that that they're talking about. And it's easiest to do when you do have somebody who's kind of in a beginning, unformed, doesn't know, and finds themselves, right? Now there's other stories you can tell. You could have the the, the gruff captain who's not sure he wants to keep doing this. Maybe I should uh you know, become a Orion slave girl traitor <laughs> as uh, you know, Pike suggests in the cage, right? Right. And he's got to find something that he's missing, satisfaction with what he's doing. Maybe he finds a love interest and he finds love and that completes his Or maybe he finds spiritualism. Or maybe he learns how to play. Or maybe he makes new friends, or maybe he discovers a new people and rescues them and appreciates their culture and and he grows as a person and now says no no I don't, I don't need to leave what i'm doing here is good stuff right mm-hmm. so there's other kinds of stories about personal growth but that one right that the we you know we call it kind of an overarching myth the, the hero story he starts off and he's a nobody and he gets to call to adventure and he refuses it and then you know the monomyth right and he take and so that's That's one in which you kind of take an immature person and you, you know, gradually have them go through some adventures and situations and they mature and they become this complete person. And in a sense, Star Trek presumes with its level of competence that most people have gotten there. Mm
0: -hmm. You,
1: You can tell a story about Tilly, right? Tilly's got room to grow. But if your story is on Captain Kirk or Captain Picard, you know, especially Captain Picard... Cause he's already got a lot of captaincy behind him when he gets on the Enterprise. Right. <clears throat> Whereas you know, Cisco, he was a commander. He had been a you know an EXO. You know, Kirk is new in his command. Um, you know, I suppose Janeway had some seasoning, but you know, for for Picard especially, it's you know it's hard to have him like discover himself. He's got to have one of these other arcs where he learns to appreciate children or, you know, opens himself up romantically to whoever it's going to be, Crusher or, you know, some other person or. So those are my thoughts (laughs) on uh, the quote that you read.
0: Fair. Well, that was a lot and good, you know, but uh, it's funny because we talk about J.J. Trek. And the idea that J.J. Trek is basically Star Wars infusing itself into Star Trek. Here we have Kurtzman, who, of course, not only helped with that movie, but, you know, also basically just quoting Star Wars as, you know, his template for what he thinks the show should be. So that's interesting. I think, um, you know, for me as a Star Wars fan, I'm, uh, I'm all about, you know, let's do some more Star Wars. That's fine. Uh, but, you know, there is something that I like about Trek. If you look at the movies, uh, the original movies, you know, your Rathikons and whatnot, there is more adventure in it than perhaps was in the original series. And, uh, you know, certainly the first couple seasons of uh, The Next Generation.
1: Although in one of the movies did he ever fight a Gorn.
0: <laughs> True.
1: It's hard to beat some of the compelling adventure we've gotten in that series, even just so far.
0: No, that's fair. And somebody also asked him the question if they thought that they uh, they were going to get meet up with Kirk, if we were going to see you know young Kirk take over the Enterprise or whatnot. He says, um, what Kirk is doing at this particular time is a whole other question, and we don't have any immediate plans for that character. Plus, I'd have to talk to Shatner about it. So that's funny. So I'm going to talk a little bit now about uh, Anson Mount here, who plays plays our Pike very well, I might add. I think so, there. yep. Yep. We'll get into him uh, much more here as the show goes on. Bowie, he was born in Mount Prospect, Illinois, which is fun, but then grew up in White Bluff, Tennessee. He has many credits to his name, most notably. Uh, here are some of the most notably. He was in the uh, first season of Smallville, which is fun what did what did he do then uh, i don't know he was in he was in one episode wow i gotta look that up i know right and then uh, he was with michael rosenbaum in the movie pool hall junkies right who played lex on smallville he had a small role in bowler uh, the movie boiler room he did one episode of lost right more kurtzman and jj uh, he also had like great parts in, over you know many episodes and many shows. Uh, most notably, he was uh, one of the leads in Hell on Wheels on the AMC network with uh, Cole Meany, of all people. And uh, during the fifth year of that show, he became the producer as well. Unfortunately, last year, he was also cast in that ill-fated Inhuman show that was on ABC. It was uh, one of those Marvel X-Men shows. And it was uh, really bad and did not go very far. So luckily, that cleared the way so that he could uh, come on and do this show for us. So that's really great. I'm glad he's here. I really enjoyed his characterization of Pike. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I thought he was great. Uh, One other interesting piece of information is that his father, Anson Adams Mount II, was one of the original contributing editors to Playboy magazine. So, that's something. So, uh, we'll sort of start getting into it right here. Uh, This week, we're going to run things a little bit different than we normally do. We're not going to do quite the recap that we uh, normally do. Again, I usually did it because you've all seen this original series episodes a million times. You don't have to go back and watch each episode. But I figure with Discovery, now, you guys are probably on board. You've already watched the first episode. It was only a week ago. You don't need me to recap every little moment for you. You know what's going on. So we're going to get to it. But I do want to say this, going back to Pike now. It's interesting to compare him to what we saw in the cage. Now, again, we don't know, at least I haven't heard, if this takes place before or after the cage. I think we can assume before. So maybe he hasn't gotten to that point that he's at in the cage where he's, you know, beleaguered he's got the ptsd from whatever happened on Rigel. Rigel
1: 7 or yeah
0: yeah whatever it was so maybe that is why he's a different character maybe his maybe he his character ends up having a tragic arc you know that starts here where he's like the cool stepdad who comes in and you know takes over the strip and is like everybody trust me it's all gonna be fine you know ends up unfortunately because of everything that happens before this and into the Rigel Seven and then into the cage where suddenly, you know, his life takes a downturn and then he gets blown up and then we see him in the menagerie. So maybe his whole life does take a tragic turn. And wouldn't that be sad for our uh, Pike that we get to see in this episode. So we get, uh, the, the show starts with a little like two minute recap of last season. I'm going to, I'm going to lay out my
1: like theory of the show, right? This episode. Sure. So this is how I see it working. It's in three parts. Part one is let's recap some of last season. Right, we're gonna bring up some thematic material. So, you know, we find out about Stamets and and his partner and his relationship with Tilly. But we move it forward, right? So he's gonna he's gonna leave, he's gonna go to the Vulcan Science Academy. Tilly, on the other hand, now firmly in the the command programs, so she's got, you know, uh, you know, making kind of executive... Well, I've assigned you to this thing, and I've assigned this person to that thing. And we get the recap of, like, we see the Enterprise come in. We get to, you know, find out it's the hail with the Enterprise, and um, that dramatic stuff is recapped. But then we get to meet Pike and develop that. We find, you know, some of the stuff from, from Burnham like the storytelling and um, uh, Alice in Wonderland and Sarek and, but we're gonna move it forward. So we bring up some of the old stuff, but we're also gonna tease the rest of the season with that stuff. So right. very exciting, excellent way to start the first episode of the new season, right? Then we get this middle part high action high adventure, right? There's you know not a whole lot of uh, you know character in it. Um, although we have interesting characters, um, but it's basically high adventure, and yeah. then we get this other part that's that's interesting in character, and uh, we even had a little a little hint of Seru in the beginning, that first part where he mentions his sister, which you wouldn't know anything about if you hadn't watched the, the short treks, the short treks. Yeah, but anyway, we we get this stuff with Seru and Pike, and how are they going to get along? And we get some more kind of development and, and more moving us forward into the new season and doing it in a character way rather than an adventure way. So that's that's how I saw the show. And I thought, this is nice. We get a little something of everything. We get a little bit of recap, We get a, as well as teasing. We get a little action-adventure, and we get a little character. So it's all very nice. That's how I well, saw the episode.
0: Well, you know, uh, it's interesting that you say that because... I feel like, and I was going to save this for the end, but I'll, I'll do it now. I, I feel like this whole episode was just a tease to get to Spock. You know what I mean? I don't feel like a lot happened in this in this episode, unlike what you, I mean, <clears throat> concurrent with what you say, right? It was a lot of like, we got have a lot of baggage to bring in from last season. A lot, so Let's yeah. bring in that baggage. Let's kind of unpack it a little bit. Let's show everybody what it is. We'll say, here's what's happened in the blah 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 months in between and then you know like you said with stamets and everybody else and then we'll take it forward and move on so we get that we get our high adventure but even their whole trip their whole mission out to the signal doesn't go anywhere right you know what i mean we just find these other people but they don't know anything about the signal we find out that the asteroid's heading towards a
1: pulsar Pulsar.
0: Yeah. yeah So, it, 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 does that tell us anything? It, it doesn't seem to, yet, anyway. So, it's interesting because we have this whole episode where, plot-wise, a lot of nothing happens. Right. You know, and so what we get instead is a bunch of character stuff. And Yeah, we, we get character and setting, my two favorite things. Right? Well, and I'm not complaining about it. But it's interesting because it feels like, ultimately, this whole thing was just a big tease to, like, Spock, right? You guys want to see Spock? You ready for some Spock? Here comes some Spock. Yeah, they they were
1: teasing Spock the whole time. Yes. Right. So we got that moment in which uh, a Captain Pike and a science officer and tactical officer are coming on, and yep. Sarah and Burnham look at each other. We're like, "Oh, we're gonna we're gonna see Spock." Oh, no, no Spock. Yep. Oh, we're gonna have some memories of Spock, but he's a, he's a child, and we we don't you know except for that episode in which Spock goes back through the uh, uh, yesterday's the thing where he he rescues himself and. In the animated series. Right. We know almost nothing about, you know, little boy Spock. We get more little boy Spock out of J. Jerry Trek's reboot than we do out of, uh, you know, normal Star Trek. Yeah. So here we're getting some young Spock, some, you know, Spock at home. And, you know, she's got like, I think, three or four episodes of memories of Spock. So, yeah, it's all teasing Spock. Mm Mm-hmm. So... They're building up the Spock. Hopefully we're going to have some great fun with Spock because they've built it up a lot.
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely. And we've learned a lot about that whole family dynamic, you know? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and then we we get the big bomb at the end where she says, you know, the reason that Spock and I are, you know, don't have a relationship, it's all my fault. So she's got some big reveal. She's got some arcs that she has to go down to where she could put this back together and then work with Spock and then... But yep. it's going to be about her. I mean, she's the star of the show. I mean, I think Lorca was a was kind of a co-star because it's hard not to have the captain occupy a big space. Yeah. And I think this season, it's going to be hard for Captain Pike not to you know, not to basically be the co-star.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely.
1: And then I think you know once we bring Spock on, he's going to be a, an important character because how you know she can't work through her stuff by herself reading Alice in Wonderland. She's got to <laughs> She's got to get with Spock and work on some stuff. Yes. So that'll be big.
0: Well, you know, Seneca Martin said uh Green, Seneca Martin Green said that what happens in this season really puts Spock in the place to meet Kirk. So there's a lot of apparently like, you know, we heard that, you know, Sarek says that his whole goal for Spock and bringing her into the family was to you know, was to, for him to learn empathy. And she's like, well, that probably didn't happen because whatever it was, we don't know yet, obviously, but whatever it was, you know, he was probably starting to learn that empathy and then she smacked it down by doing whatever it was she did. So right, he didn't learn the lesson. So, so that'll be interesting to see where that goes.
1: <clears throat> Although I think we're also going to get some of that sense of that relationship between Spock and Pike. I mean, mm. I, I think we got a decent amount of it in the cage in the menagerie to realize that there was a bond between these guys. Yeah. And it preceded Kirk.
0: And they've been through a lot together.
1: Yeah. And so he's, in in some sense, he got Kirk ready because he was,
0: you know, working with Pike. Well, so it's interesting they bring up the menagerie because if you think about it, what... Well, so f- first of all, what I thought was going to happen when we when we found out that the the Enterprise was in catastrophic failure... And we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, when the Enterprise was in Catastrophic, I was half thinking that maybe it was something that Spock had done, you know? Because we see him in the menagerie. We see him in the motion picture. Sometimes when he gets obsessed with something, he's willing to do whatever it takes to get the, you know, get the thing done. And so I was wondering, did, like, he see these signals and they couldn't go after it? So he, like, you know, sabotaged the Enterprise in some way. Because the guy even... uh, it was stamets actually who even says like i've seen the specs on the ship and whatever did this to this ship it was major you know so i was thinking for a while we were going to see spock that's what happened spock's like well i gotta this thing has got i gotta take care of this thing and if if you're gonna try and stop me i'm just gonna go off on my own so i thought in a very menagerie like way right which is basically what he does to the enterprise he takes over the enterprise and is like all right we're gonna go (laughs) help out pike now and he does it in a muck time
1: And uh, he's done it it several times.
0: Oh, my gosh. That's interesting. It's funny that you would think Starfleet might think he's a liability at some point. (laughs) Uh, But so, yeah, that's interesting. So, I I mean, again, it'll be fun fun to see what Spock has done for himself, where he's gone off to. Obviously, it has something to do with the Red Angel and has something to do with the signals we've seen. So, but it'll be interesting to see how it all works out. So, since I brought it up, let's talk about the ship being in catastrophic failure. I, any thoughts as to what caused that? Because again, as Dammit says, like whatever did this, it must have been huge. They don't appear to have been battle scarred, but
1: yeah. So he uh, Pike mentions that they were trying to scan things and communicate with the the signals, and mm-hmm. you know, then they had catastrophic computer failure. Yeah. And so we've seen this before with the Enterprise, where it's trying to engage with something it shouldn't that's... Either, like, there's the episode where they were, like, getting the information too quickly from, um, from, not V'ger, but the thing that came before it. Nomad? Nomad, right. So, you know, where, where Nomad was a danger to the Enterprise because, you know, his data was too fast and he would suck the data too fast out of the computer and so forth and they had to tell him to slow down and so i think it's probably something on that level mm-hmm. right they tapped into something like r2 sticking his little thing in the power and it's it blown across the doorway only it's on a ship-wide basis right yeah and
0: so that's kind of where I was I was thinking, too. I was thinking that yeah. they, they took some kind of reading, they took some kind of measurement, something happened where it gets sucked into the, you know, too, get sucked too into much the data. ship, and it just, yeah yep, just overloads, and, oh, my gosh, catastrophic, holy cow. And then
1: happening? it just, it cascades, so it's like, well, we've, we've blown, like, every computer system.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean,
1: we, we can't turn lights on and off. We can't, yeah. you know, we can't take readings. We can't, you know, flush toilets. We can't do anything. We're totally stuck. Yeah. got to replace all the computers, all the, you know, the, everything.
0: Yeah, I figured that must be what it, what it is. Maybe we'll get more information on that. Maybe it doesn't matter. We'll see. One interesting factoid that we didn't bring up last year, and I know because I've been going through and listening to some of the old podcasts we did last year on Discovery, we never brought this up, which is that the Enterprise, of course, as we know, is 1701, and the Discovery is 1071. So it's like the same numbers, just two of them are bloop, 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 bloop. interesting little uh, thought there. So let's talk about the ships, uh, the crew, I should say, the Discovery's wariness of of Pike, right? So it happens almost right away, right? Because Pike comes on and says. All right, look, you know, I wanted to come on and say this myself, but I'm taking over the ship. And immediately Saru's like, uh, no, this doesn't sound right. There are only like three reasons why that would happen. And, and, and Pike's like, it's all three of them. That, that's why I'm here. But it's funny because he basically told Starfleet, no, don't tell them. I'll come aboard and tell them myself. But you would think, with everything that they've been through with Lorca, that it would just be easier if Star Trek or if Starfleet, I mean, came aboard and you know, even you know, let's bring back Admiral Cronwell or whatever her name and was. And I've seen her in the trailers for this season, so right, so she'll be there. Yeah, so it's like they, it's not even like they couldn't get the actress. Like let's right. just do this,
1: because in one sense you'd say like you know, listen, this is, this is our we got you know one of our great captains who's currently without a ship. We got a ship without a captain. Uh, you know. It just makes sense to for command for us to put Pike on your ship until his ship is is
0: you know back, back in order. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he's super experienced. You know, one we trust. And we've
1: established that because when Suru in the first season was you know trying to you know think about the great captains and how you know how should he behave now that he's going to assume this role. I, he, one of the captains that he had considered was christopher
0: pike mm. uh, so this is interesting is that they had to redesign the enterprise because of the whole rights issues over tv movies blah blah, blah that whole weird viacom thing that's happening so uh, if you notice that the enterprise has a lot more like angles on it than it normally does they're sharper
1: i do i've got lots of pictures of the enterprise from, <laughs> from those couple of seconds that we saw right yeah. i got lots of screenshots and i I've got, you know, one up here on this computer and one on that computer. And and uh, so I, I admire them constantly. Yeah. I, re- I really like the look of the this Enterprise. Mm-hmm. It looks like it fits in with contemporary ships, right? Yeah. So, for example, playing in Star Trek Online, if you go back and you get the, uh, like, the original serious ship right you're flying around in this ship that aesthetically looks different right it mm-hmm. doesn't fit in and even when you get the original movie era ship you know which i have right behind me right so you know it doesn't have colorful the, the red here in the nacelles it doesn't have the blue here yeah. and that's kind of become standard we even see it in enterprise and you know of course. The original ship did have the red, but it was like a plastic dome kind of a thing. It didn't look like it was just glowing, whatever, I guess they're bussard collectors, you know, collecting hydrogen, according to the technical manual. So, it's, it's just a different look. Plus, it's cleaner and whiter and has less going on on the hull, whereas mm-hmm. if you look at um, the Galaxy class and all the ships that come into next generation, which are being designed within the same span of years by the same basic team, yeah. And they, they kind of make everything look the same, right? So the Ambassador class and you know the Cheyenne class and the Constellation class, and the, then we get the the Sovereign class and the Akira and all the stuff that comes out within kind of the next generation DS9 time zone. They all kind of have this plating and this, you know, stuff that seems to be going on in the hull of the ship. And that's all missing
0: yeah. from
1: the early. And I think, you know, just looking, I can see right now because it's on my screen. And this Enterprise looks like it belongs in the world with those other Enterprises.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know, it's got, it looks like it's got more stuff on the hull, more... Like if you touched it, it would have texture rather than the clean smoothness. Yeah. Uh, kind of nineteen seventies jumpsuit Star Trek or, you know, jumpsuit science fiction, right? Yeah. Where everything's clean and and you know that's part of the aesthetic, I think, of Star Trek this cleanness. But we've got this established like this is how ships look, and for the original ship and the movie refit to have a different look feels awkward. Whereas, the ship that meets Discovery in the in those last couple of seconds, in the first seconds of, of these seasons, I see the blue glow. I see mm-hmm. the red glow. It's got all the pieces that you expect from all the other Star Trek other than the TV show that was made 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. And... The movies that were, again, you know, it was kind of one-offish in the sense that they had one ship, they didn't yeah. design a fleet, you know, just adding the uh, the Excelsior was like, "Ooh, we've got a second ship," and, and of course, then they add when they added the uh, the Miranda class, it was basically just a saucer section of the of the Enterprise with its nacelles kind of stuck underneath it and it was you know like they just took the same pieces and put them so we have like three ships right Mm -hmm. whereas by the time you watch the 14 years of next generation and ds9 you've seen so many ships this fleet of ships yeah and they all have a consistent aesthetic right right they all they all look like they belong in a fleet together and then you've got these other ships that don't look like they belong and now finally we have an enterprise that looks like it belongs
0: Uzzah. Huzzah! Huzzah! <laughs> Love it. So um, obviously, all my notes are in order because I was, as I was watching them, I was writing down notes. So <clears throat> this little, there's, so we get that opening piece where from last season, where we see the Enterprise, right, and then it kind of goes to black for a second, and then we cut to this thing where Burnham is saying, you know, space, the final frontier, she, she gets her shot there to do it. And you think, like, oh, is this a new opening? What's happening here? But then it just turns out... It eventually leads into the story of her joining, you know, Sarek and his family and everything else. But it was just so weird. It felt like... Like, if they had just started the show there, that would have been one thing. But it was just weird coming off of that interlude from the time before. I don't know. I thought it was weird. Because it starts with the Cassini, you know, spacecraft that we launched. That, you know, went over... looked all over Saturn and just recently, you know, crash landed on a on the on the in the big planet. But uh, it's probably
1: good news for us because otherwise it would have gained some kind of super intelligence and come <laughs> back and destroyed us.
0: Right, right, right. Later, a million years from now.
1: Apparently 300 years from now.
0: But that was even weirder. But you know, so that was even weirder because we start off with this thing and it's showing us, you know, images that the Cassini sent back of Saturn and its rings and blah 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 and the next thing you know, it takes us into her pa- I don't know. That whole montage for me just didn't really work. That's pretty much all I'm trying to tell you. Although I did find out this interesting factoid about the Cassini, is that after 20 years in space, 13 of those exploring Saturn, which is a lot, obviously, exploring one planet and its moons, Cassini exhausted its full supply. And so, to protect moons of Saturn that could have conditions suitable for life, Cassini was sent onto one daring final mission that would seal its fate. After a series of nearly two dozen nail-biting dives between the planet and its icy rings, Cassini plunged into Saturn's atmosphere on September 15, 2007, returning science data to the very end. Where it was eventually smushed because of the sure. So, pressure so we imagine. Yes. Exactly.
1: Perhaps it's, it's gaining a superintelligence right now.
0: <laughs> yeah, we don't know what's happening on Saturn.
1: Maybe that's, maybe that's where
0: the Transformers come from. Right, exactly. We don't even know more than meets the eye, after all. <laughs> anyway, all of that to say, we do get the beginning of Burnham's actual, you know, first time in the house. We saw last season, <coughs> the mind meld, you know, Sarek putting his Katra inside her, and, or vice versa, however it works, or joining together. So, uh, this is the first time her coming to the house, first time her meeting Amanda, the first time her meeting Spock, what do you what stood out to you about this uh, about this little first part here i think you know so we get these these
1: tantalizing images and you know moments with spock but the character we really learn the most about is amanda mhm and amanda's very warm and um, in, in some ways you'd have to we you know we recently watched uh, journey to babel
0: uh huh
1: and it, she's got a real presence Amanda right yeah and of course she's played by Jane Wyatt
0: best known for playing a mother
1: right but also you know kind of an a-lister in her day right yeah and she you know she brought a lot to the character it was a compelling character and so playing Amanda you you know you're you' got you got a bar to go after you got some shoes to fill.
0: Thought it was interesting, Spock slamming the door on her the first time. I wondered if this was like uh, an only child thing, you know, when they bring home the baby for the first time, and she, they're just like, "No, I don't want to see this new thing." Blah blah. blah. Uh, but all of this really made me think about Sarek's character, and we talked, we touched a little bit on this last time, but I had brought up the idea that I, Sarek must have more emotions brewing under him than your average Vulcan, right? After all, he's taking a human wife. He's got a. Half Vulcan, half human son. He now brings in a fully human daughter to sort of, you know, round Plus, out the family dynamic.
1: You know, we, we we get that thing from the Journey to
0: Babel about how
1: he was like the ambassador on Earth, and he you know studying human culture, and he falls in love with the the human woman, or or you know whatever it was. It seemed logical at the time to marry her, right? And <laughs> so. He's got a thing with humans, right? He's got a thing with Earth. He's got a, a thing with what's going on with humans, and, and he's you know trying to figure out how do we, how do we get the good stuff. Keep what's good about being a Vulcan, but you know right. tap into what they because the humans are cool, they got good stuff. You know if you watch the whole arc of the Vulcans, right? Right. They start off as I have mentioned before. Way more Romulan, way more aloof, standoffish, and arrogant, and kind of unpleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, as would be appropriate for the villainous Romulans. And they really mellow over time, and I think it's the contact with the humans. Right. And Sarek is obviously totally on board with that project.
0: So, if you remember last season, there was the the one where he was caught somewhere he got stuck somewhere oh uh the 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 bad guy blew up his ship remember and he was stuck on the ship and they were trying to find him and so he kept going into her he kept she i mean kept going into his katra to find him and he kept kicking her out because he was reliving his biggest regret which was keeping her out of the science academy and so it was funny because at that time you were like well all of this is probably just buried in his subconscious and maybe it still all is but i it's interesting how much again we look at all this human nality it was what i was going to say the humanality of him but you know these the, the, the human humanosity. emotion yes exactly <laughs> that the humanosity that uh he uh he must have boiling under his very you know vulcan veneer
1: no one has been more
0: human that's right <laughs> Uh, interesting we got some uh, different opening credits going on here we see the red angel we see the captain's chair uh the edict is is in there uh there are one or two other like very big differences so it's kind of we'll see how all of those play in obviously the captain chair uh uh looms large in this season so it's funny on the way to the transporter when he's she still thinks she's going to see spock right Saru can smell her anxiousness to like see him again. I was like, Oh, that's a new trick. I don't think we've heard about that one before. I also wondered too about when when she asks him about his sister, you know, and he says, like, I've got a sister and there's a blah blah like wouldn't he wouldn't she know that already? Like they've spent seven years together on the Shinzu and then however long here, it just feels like even if nothing else, like the circumstances in which he came to the came to the ship, like Georgiou knew that and like wouldn't they just sitting around talking sometime? I don't know it just felt like that was information they should have had but
1: yeah it probably is but they needed to put it out at this point so we just had to do a little exposition as if it's new information but it's kind of like when they're all standing around right, explaining exactly. like how, how like Star Trek works right well our lasers yes, exactly. are amplified light through you know crystals and you're like yeah well obviously everyone knows this but Someone's got to explain it. Or how, like, we can't beam them up through the shields. And there's a moment where Saru is talking about the shields and the telep, and the transporter. And, of course, we all know this, right? Because we're Star Trek people. But you need to have that in there, because otherwise people are like, what's the dilemma? I don't get it. Can't their shields just protect them against these uh, asteroids?
0: Uh, two other little things uh, right around this area. The first was, well, three actually. Uh, the first was I love the little moment when Pike mentions the Mojave because you remember from the uh, in the cage when he talks about having lived there or whatever or being from there. The second one was the the there's they pull out for a second and you see the interior of the ship where the turbo lift is. And it's all, like all dark, and I'm like, that's not how I imagined that to be at all. I certainly much more thought of it as an elevator going around, like you know, the different cabins and whatnot. I'm like with all, where's all this black? I don't understand how this works. I didn't like that. And speaking of not liking, I was just wondering what your opinion was on the uh, the elevator scene with the alien. Who you know, oh yeah, there's a lot of that going around, and then sneezes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't know, this feels like a little too like goofy for me
1: a little too silly yes a little. yeah silly. well obviously obviously roddenberry was not in the office when that, got, <laughs> when that got approved
0: no that's definitely true
1: because he he was not fond of broad humor but you know obviously uh it was our other gene gene coon gene
0: coon yes
1: obviously he was uh chuckling to himself the whole time
0: <laughs> i bet he was So we also find out too that the spore drive is inactive. We can talk about this now. So the spore drive's inactive; it's not working now. But we did find that as we got closer to that asteroid at the end, that the spores, you know, reacted to it just like they did to the tardigrade. So I'm wondering, you have any thoughts, ideas on where this whole asteroid that they catch at the end might be going, where that storyline's going?
1: I don't know. They're planting a lot of seeds here in this first episode. Obviously, we got a whole season as you say. Yeah. Well, I mean it's very jj right half of these may never get opened these you know (laughs) seeds and but it's it's kind of how we work today and if you're going to have the arky multiple stories you got to lay a bunch of seeds so that different things can be happening and people can be working on things
0: yeah yeah it's interesting so i i I mean i have no guesses either i don't know if this is going to become like the new power of the spore drive but again then why isn't the spore drive everywhere Uh, although maybe this asteroid doesn't exist everywhere and there's only enough for, like, Discovery is going to be the one ship that, I don't know, something.
1: Or they they have just enough to make the four other jumps to visit the other angel sites or the other... (laughs)
0: Yes, exactly. How convenient. And we know from the trailer, as you've said, having watched it, we know in the trailer that they use the spore drive, so it should be interesting to see. Interesting here, too, I thought that we get... uh, Stamets gets to go and teach at the Vulcan Academy, and yet they wouldn't take both Spock and Burnham, like, we got a human now teaching at the Vulcan Academy. I wonder how uh, everyone feels about that. I guess that's
1: because his uh, spore science is so amazing.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I guess so. Um, you know, when you talk about like breaking down drama and what it is, there's always one piece that they call universality. Like what's a what's something in the script that really everybody can sort of like, you know, when they hit on it, everyone's kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, I know that feeling. And so I thought it was interesting when Stamets says, uh, you know, Hugh is everywhere that I look. Because I think that that's something that a lot of people can relate to, even if they've if they've lost somebody due to death, or you know, there's even a friend of mine who, you know, she just got divorced and so they're she's moving because she's just like literally every restaurant I go to, every bar, every you know, the Back place I live in, house, yeah, 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 exactly. Everywhere is is I you know I just see him, so I was like I gotta get out of this town. So I just thought that was a nice little piece of universality there that everyone could uh, could latch to.
1: Yeah, so uh, like one of the comments that. uh you know, I saw on on Rotten Tomatoes was that Rap has been given an unreasonable amount of dramatic heavy lifting and carried it off with a plum, which I thought was totally <laughs> true.
0: Oh, I love that. That's good. Uh, quickly, in the scene where we get Sarek and uh, Burnham, where they're going back and forth, and he finds her reading Alice in Wonderland, right? See, again here, it's just another thing to talk about the emotional level that he must have, because he says, it gave me comfort too to hear her read that story. Or yours wasn't the only one, is what he actually says, but mm-hmm. so I thought that that was interesting. I, I, I totally imagine that he's getting
1: something entirely different, right? Like, he's like, you know, look at the, the Earth Mother caring for her, you know, her young... <laughs> you know that's that's how a mother should be yeah we've gotta we gotta get some of that for the future of Vulcan
0: we also quickly find out in that uh scene that Lorel is now the high chancellor of the Klingon empire we know we're gonna see her later too so that's gonna be fun later on the ship we get Pike he calls for the roll call of everybody like so he can learn everybody's name really quick I'm assuming maybe it's also like a team builder. I don't know what exactly is going on there, but I thought that was good. And then uh, he gives everybody like their little assignment. And then he says, uh, and Detmer, fly good. (laughs) Thought that was funny. So we get to, we get a, we, we, this is where we start to also learn. So now, oh, sorry. What I was saying was, is that we get to the where we find the medical frigate, right? And everyone's kind of throwing out their ideas, and two interesting things happen here, which is first, like, Pike totally loses it, right? Because he feels like everybody's giving him all of this, like, negative, like, blah, 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 blah. Not realizing all they're doing is, like, listing, like, okay, here's what the problems that we have to overcome. How can we overcome these problems, right? That's really what they're doing. They're all just talking out loud. Uh, hive mind, almost, you know? And, uh, but he loses it here, and he says, and this is the first time we find out the interesting thing that he says, I didn't sit out the war just to lose nerve, nerve now. Lose nerve now. So, that's hard to say. So, interesting that we, you know, we find out here, this is the first time we find out he wasn't a part of the war. What was the Enterprise doing? And it's interesting because I read an article that was saying, <clears throat> you know, this is a common problem we have in Trek. Right, where somehow the Enterprise is just not where everybody else is. You know, we have DS9 happening. There's this giant war happening for the Quadrant. We're really worried about it. They're fighting the Kardashians and everything else. And then, you know, meanwhile, the Enterprise is off finding the Fountain of Youth, you know, in Star Trek Insurrection. (laughs) And it wouldn't be hard
1: because there's a lot of ship name dropping that goes on in Star Trek in general, right? Even in, the, even in right. the original series, you know, we'll name drop other ships. And it would have been so easy just to be like, uh, well, the Enterprise is leading the uh, defense of Bajor. Okay, well, we, now we know right. where the Enterprise is. Okay, done. You know, it's not like we need to to go to Picard exactly. and, and Troy and Luxwana and like, no, oh, we must protect Bajor. Oh, here they come. We can't hold them back. Bajor falls.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But which is exactly what I felt about this, yeah. right? Like they did. I mean, there must be another story. Uh-huh. I know that they're putting out a book uh, in next July. Of all times, they're putting out a book that tells us where the, the the ship was during this whole time. But just because they didn't mention that they were there, doesn't mean that they couldn't have been off fighting the war somewhere else. You right. know what I mean? Right. Maybe they weren't at ba- Battle of Binary Stars, but they were off. You know near Bridgel seven or somewhere else you know dealing with (laughs) dealing with something
1: probably laying the seeds for things that would go bad 10 years later or how many years
0: right which is interesting then we get it you know so then we get the first bit of it here and then later towards the end of the episode we get you know him saying like you know, why did they leave us behind? It was hard on me. It was hard on Spock. It was hard on the rest of the crew. You know, and Spock even has that great line where he says, uh, you know, what's the logic in sitting it out if there's nothing to go back to? You know, we get that great line, which, by the way, apparently was also... Oh, eight, no, it was the next line. So then... I'm going to look it up. He comes back with something saying that uh, he taught us that logic... The, is just the yeah, beginning mm-hmm. or is just the beginning of wisdom not the end yeah which apparently was a, a leonard nimoy line that mm-hmm. that was something that he had said so it was nice that they brought it back to that but it's interesting we get him we get him dealing with like almost anti-ptsd right or the the guilt of not being around to save his other yeah this is you know starfleet buddies this is
1: um so like one example of ptsd that you can develop is the why did i survive right so you're in, yeah. you're in a car crash everyone in the car dies except you you're like well, why you know why did i survive or you yeah. know so he's got i think that kind of of uh, trauma to deal with especially you come back and i mean just just on this bridge we got people with the head thing and <laughs> yeah right you know so detmer yeah people have been injured in the war right you come back and people have lost things or now nah, i've got my new bionic leg or whatever and <laughs> Uh, you know, and, and Yep, yeah, n- nobody, nobody here was hurt we're, we're all okay In fact, yeah, uh, Jeff over here Now has like silver eyes I don't know, he can move things with his mind But it's okay
0: <laughs> Yes, exactly Yeah, uh, also a uh, side note On that, uh, you know, mentioning the other crew Is that uh, they mentioned that There were 203 crew members On the Enterprise, which is the same number he gives In the cage as well mm-hmm. Two hundred and three crew members, so it was nice little like ding ding yep. that they gave there.
1: Especially because later on, at various points, Shatner as Kirk tells us it's more like four hundred. Yeah. So obviously well, they're running
0: with a skeleton crew back then, you know they. Uh,
1: obviously, they've got more more crew on the ship.
0: Yeah. Well, it's the next generation. They got a whole new pe- bunch of people coming in, you know, well, Starfleet. Obviously,
1: right. there have been refits before the refit.
0: Yeah, exactly. So then they all go down in the pods, we all know that thing happened. But we get the uh, the death of their science officer Conley here, right? Well, I, other than like Space is Risky, which of course Rodinberry right. was a big proponent of. Like, is there any other point to this death? Yeah. There's no room for cocky in Starfleet, I don't, he I don't know. He was made
1: intentionally obnoxious from the beginning. Right. And yeah, I mean, other than he's the red shirt of the episode even though he's wearing some blue yeah uh you know yeah i don't really see the point
0: yeah it's just weird i mean just to clear the way for her to be science officer i don't know
1: well and you know she gets to be right and she gets to be right in a way that seems like she has some understanding of things she goes beyond mere uh in the same way that spock right logic is the beginning of wisdom he can't seem to get past yeah. the, you know, it's not just the math and the sensors. No, no, my math is fantastic. Don't challenge my calculations.
0: Right, exactly. She gets
1: that kind of being pointed out that she's right about stuff.
0: Yeah. Because she's the hero. That's right. So then once we get down to that ship, the medical frigate here, we get uh, that lead survivor. The engineer is played by uh She's a, she's a pretty famous comedian. She has her own television show. But also that uh, she's most famous for recently. This is a few years ago this happened. But recently in modern times. Um, <laughs> she uh, She found out one day that she had cancer. And so she didn't even tell anybody. And then went out on stage that night and... Told everybody in the audience and just did a whole set about cancer and how awful it is and what it means that you have it and blah blah blah. And so people who have heard it, it's on the internet, you can find it. People who have heard it just says it's like one of the most daring daring bits of stand-up that's been done in years. So it's just cool that she's on the show. She's also a big truck fan, so very cool. So interesting thing here, so they get the they're in there and she tells them to, you know, remove the helmets. And so Pike hits the button. But then at the very end, when Burnham's running out, she just says, helmet! You know, it's like we were saying with the uh, last season. We were ta- we talked about this, too, with the doors, right? When the tardigrade got out and then they, like right, it goes back into its little thing and they're like, door! We're like, boy, that would have been a lot more helpful on Next Generation if they just could have had voice commands on these things. Here you go, another perfect example of Alexa at work. That's right. I think that we have hit most of uh, everything I wanted to talk about here. From what I've been seeing is that uh, most of the reviews were either I thought it was really great mm-hmm. or it, or a lot of them were, uh, well, were, were, were uh, cautiously uh, optimistic. You know, uh, we'll see what they do with Spock. I think that's really the big thing that's going to make or break this season is how they take care of that character. Mm-hmm. Just from everything I've been reading. Well, anything else uh we didn't get to talk about? Anything else you wanted to share?
1: No, I think uh, I think we hit all our points.
0: I think so too. I think uh that this season is going to be uh really awesome. I I too think that the whole season kinda does hinge on how Spock what the character they do with that character, how cool he is, how um even how different he is and it's funny too because you know a lot of people are making a big deal about this beard but we've seen bearded spock before right at the beginning of uh motion picture
1: that's
0: right so if you all want to see a bearded leonard nimoy go to uh uh, the motion picture and we also get 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 to see a bearded mccoy really oh yeah when he first comes on board that's right someone reactivated me using a little known clause of (laughs) wait it was you
1: you did it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> bones i needed you there's something out there why do we call everything we don't understand something like it's just yeah. <laughs> it's
0: so great it sounds just like bones i love it <laughs> all right everybody well thanks for tuning in this week for listening in uh we got uh, lots of things going on here come to the website uh, the brothers trek about com go to the facebook page and uh, we'll show you there when we're posting we're also going to be on stitcher apple podcasts and of course soundcloud so you can find us and listen to us anytime you want on those if you want to go back and listen to last season of discovery those are all there as well so go find them and enjoy them and listen to them my name is matt saying goodbye and from houston my brother ken saying goodbye peace and long life there you go and we will see you all for discovery next week